Last weekend, we uh, introduced kind of a new segment we're going to be doing um, on Sundays here uh, under the banner of Love Works, and we're calling it Something You Might Not Know, because we're realizing that new lifers every day are out in our community and in our city doing things to bless their neighbors in the name of Jesus Christ. So for today, something you might not know is that New Life has a ministry to special needs families called God's Music. And MUSIC is actually an acronym. It stands for Molding Unique Servants in Christ. And so every Sunday morning here at 11 o'clock, some of God's choice servants care for and teach these special elementary age children who face some very unique challenges in their lives. They're learning to live with limitations that most of us will probably never really understand. The volunteers serve as the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus helping these precious children come to know more about their Savior, and that's a good thing. Amen? This ministry requires the patience and love of Christ, and I think that we should all thank God that he has blessed this church with such loving people who serve in this ministry. So that's something you might not know, but now you do, and uh, may the Lord continue his work of sending us to people in need with his amazing love. We're a church on a love works mission. And speaking of that, I just want to mention a a couple people in our congregation who are actually members here, ministry partners who've been serving in our city. One is uh, Scott Mounts, who is a member here at New Life. He's been serving on our uh, school board here for several years, served faithfully and well, and uh, we appreciate him doing that. He's stepping aside, finishing out his term here, and uh, one, another of our own, Matt Campbell, is uh, running for school board here in our city. And so we just wanted you to know that because we believe that's love works too. That's serving our neighbors because of Christ. And we appreciate it that people are willing to get out into our community and serve the needs that are there. So we praise God for that. Well, fire up your Bible apps if you've got that there or turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Because today, as we continue exploring Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we come to what is perhaps the most quoted Bible verse by people who are not Christians. Matthew chapter 7, the words of Jesus, beginning in verse 1. Judge not, that you be not judged. You ever heard someone say, don't you judge me now. Don't you judge me. This is where it comes from. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, here, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, just for the record, there have been uh, twice, two times in my life, where I somehow managed to get a speck of something in my eye. It was a speck. It felt like a log. You know how it is when you get something in your eye, right? And despite all of my efforts, I wasn't able to to do anything that that could flush it out. And so both times, I ended up having to go to a hospital so that a, a specialist could reach in there and remove it from my eye. And I just want to say that I am so glad that in each case, the doctor who attended to me did not have a huge beam sticking out of his eye. I'm very grateful for that, <laughs> because if he had, he wouldn't have been able to see clearly to get the little speck out of my eye. 
So thank God for eye doctors whose vision is not obstructed. You know, I read this little story here, I think, you know, don't let anybody tell you that Jesus Christ did not have a sense of humor. I mean, this is kind of humorous, isn't it, to think about a doctor trying to extract a foreign particle from someone else's eye with a huge tree hanging out of their own eye. But I think the humor contains some irony, and Jesus wants to use that irony to make a point that he wants us to get. So I want to take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to this to us so that we're certain to get it, okay? So let me pray for us. And so Holy Spirit, we recognize this morning that as the third member of the Trinity, you are our truth teacher, and you wrote the Bible. I'm keenly aware that there are as many applications of this passage as there are people in this room today. So I pray, Spirit of God, that you would take these words from the lips of Jesus and apply them to each individual specific situation in this room. And I do pray that you would transform our hearts a little bit more today into the image of Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount here for a while now, and uh, I just want to reiterate that in this very famous sermon, Jesus' primary aim was to expose and dismantle a way of thinking about God that was very popular in his day and also in ours as well. It's the thinking that goes like this. Well, if I can just perform well enough, if I can just behave good enough, then God will be pleased with me, and he'll accept me. You're familiar with that thinking? I believe this is the default mode of the human heart. To think that what we humans need to do is figure out what God requires of us in terms of our behavior and then give our very best effort to be good, upstanding, moral, law-abiding people who, who do their best to try to be good. Do you know how many people outside the church think that way? Do you know how many people inside the church think that way? I've been calling this the performance plan, and you've heard me talk about this before. It basically says, if you behave well, morally, ethically, relationally, religiously, if you behave well, then God will accept you, God will be pleased with you, and God will take you to heaven. But what we've been seeing in the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus systematically poking holes in the performance plan and laying the groundwork for another plan, the plan that he actually came to offer. Now, in that day, the poster boys for the performance plan were called the who? The Pharisees, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the religious rule keepers of that day, and they were quite proud of how well they were doing at keeping all the rules. You could call them the fraternity of the smug. And you thought that only applied to Mac users, right? The Pharisees claimed to be taking God and his word and his law very, very seriously, intent on dotting every I and crossing every T. And as you can imagine, they looked down on those poor folks who weren't quite measuring up to their standards and weren't as conscientious as they were when it came to religion. 
So Jesus is poking holes in their plan, and the way he decided to go about it was to contrast their brand of performance-based religion with God's true and actual standards for righteousness. And what Jesus showed is that what a holy God really demands of human beings actually goes much higher and much deeper than what the Pharisees were teaching. So Jesus was saying, look, just, just behaving well, just minding your manners is, is not enough to please God because God looks underneath our conduct. God looks underneath our behavior. He looks at motives. He looks at intentions. He looks at people's values and their affections and what they treasure in their hearts. That's what Matthew 5 and 6 is all about. Well, since the Pharisees were mostly big on behavior, I'm sure that Jesus' message was, was kind of agitating to them, that they were kind of shifting in their seats there as they were listening to him. But that didn't deter our Lord. His aim was to help soft-hearted people who were listening have that aha moment of awakening where it dawned on them that they could never meet up to God's holy standards. As I've said, his intent, his intent was to create dissatisfaction with the plan that they were on so they would be open to hearing about another plan, the grace plan. And it's interesting to me that in this sermon, Jesus really only hints at the grace plan. I think there's a reason for that, but he does hint at it if you look back just a few verses at one of my favorite verses of all time, Matthew 6, 33. Jesus said this, maybe you know it, but seek first the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness. Chase after, pursue His righteousness. Hint, hint. Jesus was saying, not your own righteousness. That's not going to cut it. No one can be good enough for God on their own. What you need is a righteousness that comes from outside of yourself, what theologians call an alien righteousness. And what the gospel of grace tells people is that God actually offers his perfect righteousness as a gift, as a gift to all who will believe in his Son. As Augustine put it, what God demands, God delivers. That's why we call it good news, right? The gospel. That's why we call it the grace plan. What humanity could not pull off, God himself accomplished through the bloody execution of his own Son on a cross whom he then raised from the dead. So Jesus, in this sermon, is laying the groundwork for people to want that and yearn for that and long to receive that. But to do this, he had to demolish the false pseudo-spirituality that these Pharisees were dishing out to people every single day. And now here as we come to chapter 7, we find that Jesus is still hammering away at the performance plan and there with his disciples and the crowd and the Pharisees listening in, he basically says this, And another thing, people, that God demands from his creatures, stop judging each other. Refrain from judging one another. Well, if the Pharisees were unsure up to that point, now there could be no doubt that they were in Jesus' crosshairs. You know, when they heard that, they had to go, Nope. He's talking about us, because <laughs> that's what we do. And just think about it. Jesus was the Son of God. He knew what was in people's hearts. He knew what they were thinking. 
And he knew that the Pharisees were inclined to feel superior to those folks who weren't as religious as they were. He knew that they looked down on those people with contempt. And so he was talking right to the Pharisees, and I believe they knew it. But you know what? It's not just the Pharisees. It's in us too, isn't it? Isn't it? I never cease to be amazed at the capacity that all of us have to look down on people who are not just like us. We all do this. You may not want to admit it today, but we all have some Pharisee in us, in our hearts. I know I do. We all judge at least some people in our hearts and look down on them. Is this true? If you don't think it's true, it's true. I'm just here to tell you it's true. It's in all of us. And so a question I have is, well, why doesn't God just strike us all down for treating people that way? You ever think about that? Why doesn't a supremely holy God just obliterate self-righteous, haughty people who think they're better than everybody else? Why? Well, I'll tell you why. First, if he did that, there wouldn't be anybody left to love on. (laughs) We'd all be wiped out. Second, God's patience with sinners is directly tied in the Bible to his son's death on the cross. There's one more reason to be thankful for the cross. It bought all of us time. God can be long-suffering towards even proud sinners because he's already judged their son or judged their sin in the bloodied body of his own crucified son. So Jesus looked at the crowd and said, judge not. So what do you mean by that? What did he mean by judging? Are we, are we never supposed to make any assessments, any evaluations of anything? Is that what he was talking about? Well, I want us to get clear on this, and Jesus himself painted a picture for us so we would understand. If you have a Bible, turn over to, you find it here, Luke 18, because Jesus told a story that I think clearly lays out what he meant by judge not and the kind of attitude that he was focusing on and honing in on. It's called the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Just listen as I read it, beginning in verse 9. This is a story Jesus told. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. That's an interesting phrase. Trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated other people with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, who in that day, like in ours, would have been a despised person. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector here. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus' commentary, I tell you, this man, the humble tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you see the ugly face 
of judgmentalism. Do you see the smug self-righteousness in the Pharisee? Do you see that he's feeling superior to this other individual based on comparing himself with this other fella? Do you feel the contempt that he had for those who don't measure up to his standards? Did you hear him thank God that he wasn't like these other people? God, I thank you. I mean, this is in a prayer that I'm not like this poor guy. Did you see him focusing on the sins of others while ignoring his own sins, being blind to his own sins? And did you hear him exalting himself while despising others? That's the attitude and the mindset that Jesus was exposing when he said, stop judging. God's law of love demands that we humans stop judging each other. Now, some people might hear that and say, well, well, you know, what's so wrong with that? I'm just telling it like it is. I'm just calling them as I see them. Well, Jesus gives some reasons for what he's saying. And the first reason he gives is this. Stop judging people, number one, because judging is God's job and not ours. It's God's job to be the judge. You know, when human beings sit in judgment on other human beings, really it's tantamount to playing God, isn't it? Saying, I, I, I'm good enough, I know enough to play God here. What judging really is is an attempt to usurp God's position in the universe. You see, the only true judge is who? It's God himself. Why? Well, only God is sufficiently equipped to judge human beings correctly and accurately. Only God can be completely impartial and objective and unbiased. Only God knows all the facts. And only God knows the motives and intentions of the human heart. Only God knows those things, so only God is qualified to judge people. Judging, in the sense Jesus is talking about here, is God's job, not our job. Like Jesus' half-brother James wrote in his epistle, James 4.11, says this, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. You say, what law? The law of love, love your neighbor. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. Verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Stop playing God. Resign as the self-proclaimed head of the universe. That position is already occupied by someone else. When we speak evil against other people and tear them down to their face or behind their back or on Facebook, when we judge their motives, when we're chronically finding fault with them and pointing out their flaws and failures to other people, when we cut people down and slice and dice them with our words, it betrays the fact that we think we're qualified to do God's job, and we are sadly mistaken, sadly mistaken. Only God himself has the character and the knowledge and the skill to judge human beings accurately. It's true, isn't it? 
Judging is God's job, so stop judging. Now, that should be reason enough to restrain us, right? But Jesus adds a second reason. He says, judge not, what's the next phrase? That you be not judged. So reason number two, judgmentalism will be judged. To support this, Jesus quoted what was probably a common proverb in that day. He said this, with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So if you dish out an ounce of criticism, you can count on that coming back at you at some point. If you pour out two liters of contempt, expect to receive that much back. And if you spent your life dumping a truckload of harsh condemnation on other people, watch out, you're going to get buried yourself one day under a heavy load. Judge not that you be not judged. Now, now what's the source of this? Where does this return judgment come from? Some people contend that it's going to come from people. That people will judge you back, and no doubt that's true. Our universe operates under the law of sowing and reaping, right? You reap what you sow. So if you make a habit of judging other people, then don't be surprised when they return the favor. That's how the universe works. I remember back in the day, there was a church in our city that was known for teaching its people to be very analytical and especially very critical of other churches that didn't do church quite like they did church there. A few years later, the leaders of that church, the pastors, became quite surprised when hundreds of their people decided to turn their guns on them <laughs> and started being critical of them. But they, they shouldn't have been surprised. Jesus warned us, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And oftentimes that comes from other people. And I do think Jesus had that in mind. But there's no doubt in my mind that he was also speaking of God. Judge others, and one day, God will judge you for playing God. That's what he's saying. As Paul wrote in Romans 14, verse 4, Listen, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. We shouldn't be deceived. God not only sees their sin, but he also sees our proud, judgmental attitude, right? And he will judge both. But now I think there's something very revealing in what Jesus says next when he used that funny illustration. Remember what he said? Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye and do not notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? Now Again, that's kind of a funny image to put in your mind. But I've come to believe that that little scenario that Jesus concocted hits us right where we live. Isn't it true about us? I'll just speak of me, okay? It's true about me that I very quickly and easily am able to point out the flaws and the faults of other people while being slow as molasses to point out my own sins and faults. Am I the only one like that? I mean, isn't this true of us? We very quickly and very easily are able to point out where someone else has messed up or is messing up 
But when it comes to us, we think, no, I'm actually pretty good. When we are given the grace to see our own sins, they usually appear very tiny to us, while the shortcomings of others look huge. You know, yeah, I got my little issues, but you got major problems. You need major help. Here, let me help you. Get the log out of your eye. It's like I think I have a little splinter in my eye, but it sure seems like my boss has a log in his eye, or my neighbor, or my spouse, or my brother. He needs major help. I want to show him how huge his issue is. And what Jesus is saying here is that judgmentalism reveals blindness. That's the point. Judgmentalism reveals our blindness to our own sins. We see others' stuff very clearly, but our own junk not quite as clearly. Is this true of you? Is this true of anybody else? Okay. I think we shouldn't forget that one of Jesus' primary themes in his teachings was that all human beings are sinners, right? All are in the same boat. All share the same status before God of being alienated from God. All humans, by nature, are equally deserving of the judgment of God. Everyone on the planet needs a Savior. So there's not these bad, evil, bad sinners over here and the good people that God's really happy with over here. No, all human beings are sinners. All are in the same boat. There are just irreligious sinners and religious sinners. There are prostitutes and there are Pharisees, but all are sinners. Wasn't that one of the key truths that Jesus was trying to get across when he told that story about the prodigal son? or what I like to call the prodigal sons, the lost sons, that both the rebellious younger brother and the religious older brother both were alienated from the father? Wasn't that his point? Tim Keller contends that there are two ways that we can avoid Jesus as Savior. Two ways. One is by breaking the rules, and the other is by trying to keep the rules. One is rebellion. The other is religion and both can send you straight to hell. There's not just one kind of lostness. There are two kinds of lostness, two ways to be far from God, two ways to be alienated from God. Both prodigals and Pharisees need Jesus to save them. And know what? When you think about this, it's very startling. In the Bible, who got grace first? Prostitutes or Pharisees? Who? It was always the prostitutes who got grace first, who understood it first. Why is that? It's because, because self-righteousness blinds people to their own sin. Isn't that true? It blinds people to their own condition. It's always the Pharisees who, who think they're just fine. It's those other horrible people who need help. You know what I think the log represents? I think the log, the plank sticking out of our eye, represents self-righteousness. And I'm in good company. John MacArthur agrees. He said this, Usually the people who see everything wrong in other people's lives see absolutely nothing wrong in their own life. And the only gross, vile, wretched sin that never sees anything wrong in its own life is self-righteousness. That's what the plank is. 
you know what, we like to talk about the fact that all sin is sin and, and, and all sins are the same and there's, there's a sense in which that's true. But if there is a sin that is most evil, what most incur, incurs the wrath of a holy God, this is it. Self-righteousness. You know, with every other sin, when Jesus encountered every other kind of sin, he always condemned the sin and not the sinner, except for this one. When he encountered self-righteous, proud, arrogant, smug, self-righteous people, he condemned the sinner. If you don't believe me, read Matthew 23. He used terms like viper, snake, whitewashed tombs, and some other choice language. Jesus reserved his harshest language for righteous, proud, smug, self-righteous, Pharisee-type people. Judgmentalism blinds us. People who are focused always on the faults of other people, pointing out the faults of other people, are so often blind to their own sins. And they fail to see the seriousness of it. Because the big log of self-righteousness sticking out of their eye blocks their view and distorts their perception. So Jesus says, stop judging. Stop judging people. When you do that, you're playing God. You're going to incur judgment back upon yourself. It blinds you. And number four, it's hypocritical. To be judgmental is to be hypocritical. Verse five, what does he say? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of someone else's eye. You hypocrite. We've encountered this term before. It, it means, it refers to an actor, someone who's acting or pretending, right? In this context, Jesus is saying that people who condemn other people but fail to see and address their own issues are in essence pretending to be something that they're not. Thinking you're better than someone else because their sins are more visible and yours aren't makes you a hypocrite. Well, sin is sin, right? Whether it's outward, out there, some people's sins are very obvious to others, other people's sins are of the heart. But in that sense, sin is sin. As we noted, the truth is that older brother types are just as sinful as younger brother types, they just don't see it. They're blind to it. Listen to what Paul would later write in Romans chapter 2. Listen. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. What do we call that? Hypocrisy, right? You're doing the same stuff. You're pointing out in other people's lives. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things, but do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Hypocrisy. Some people think, well, I would never do what that person did. I would never get divorced. I would never get drunk. I would never go out and smoke pot. I would never use language like that. I'm a Christian for crying out loud. Christians don't do that kind of stuff. Okay, maybe you wouldn't do those things. But would you feel proud about it? Would you feel like you're better than all those foul-mouthed sinners out there? 
Do you judge them in your mind as being less worthy of Christ's unconditional love than you are? Just because your sins aren't as out there, aren't as obvious as others, does that mean you have a right to judge their sins as being worse than yours? From Jesus' way of thinking, that's hypocrisy. And not only is this kind of hypocrisy sinful and and worthy of being judged by God, it also hinders ministry. And that's the fifth reason that Jesus gives for not judging. It hinders ministry. I mean, having a huge beam sticking out of your eye would distort your vision, right? I can't see very clearly. Well, you have a tree in your eye. Oh, okay. As a result, you, you can't see clearly to help someone else get the little speck of sawdust out of their eye. What did Jesus say to the hypocrites? Hey, buddy, first take the log out of your eye, then you'll be able to help that person get the speck of sawdust out of their eye. He's talking about ministry. He's talking about helping people. Mark this down. Harsh, critical, judgmental Pharisees don't minister, minister to anybody. They don't minister to anybody. They can't minister to anyone. They don't help anyone, even if they have the tiniest little inkling in their heart of actually caring for someone and actually helping them until they get the log out of their eye. Their help will be tainted by self-interest. Jesus said, remove the log first, then you'll be able to minister to someone else. And I think that's code for repenting. Repenting of self-righteousness. You want to you actually minister to someone? Yeah, you want to actually be of some help to them? You want to actually help them get out of their life, that little thing that's in their life? Well, get the log out of your eye first. Repent of your self-righteousness. Then God might be able to use you to minister to somebody else. I've been there. And when God convicted me, I prayed a prayer something like this. Oh, God. I thank you for showing me that I am like that other guy. Like everyone, helpless and hopeless without you, enslaved to sin and on my way to hell apart from your grace. Forgive me for my arrogance, for playing God, for usurping your role as the only judge. Thank you for judging both my sins and their sins in the body of your crucified Son. And now put your compassion for other people in my heart so I can love them like Jesus loves them. I want you to find some white space on your outline. I want you to write down two words, would you? Compassion and comparison. Two words, two very important words. Compassion and comparison. And these are important words because they represent two polar opposite ways of thinking and living. One flows from life lived on the performance plan. The other is the fruit of being on the grace plan. You see, when life is lived according to the performance plan, which is based on law, it inevitably leads to comparison with other people. You start thinking, you walk around through your life, you start thinking, well, I'm certainly doing better than that person. And doing better than that person, I don't really measure up to that gal over there or that guy over there. Either way, your, your paradigm leads you to anchor your identity in how well you think you're doing compared to other people. 
And so if you feel like, yeah, I'm doing better than a lot of people, then it leads to pride. And if you feel like, man, I'm not really measuring up, I'm not really cutting it compared to them, then it leads to despair. But when life is lived in alignment with the grace plan, with the gospel, it leads to the possibility of demonstrating actually true, heartfelt compassion for other people. Because when we truly get the, the gospel, we realize we're all in the same boat. All of us have fallen short. All of us are bad and broken and blind, and we all need Jesus. And when you get that down in your bones, then grace becomes the driver in your life and actually produces compassion for other people in your heart. Now you can actually care for people. Now you can actually minister to people. No longer do you look at that other person and feel like, well, I've got to be better than them in some way in order to feel good about myself. No longer do you have to try and convince yourself that even though they have a more attractive wife or a newer car or a bigger house, that you're still better than them because you go to church and because your kids are behave better. You see, when you dig down underneath comparison, what you find is this desire to prove to ourselves and others and try to convince ourselves that we're better than other people. You understand what I'm saying? You, you, you walk into a room and you think, well, I'm smarter than that guy. I'm prettier than that lady. I mean, there's this pecking order, this ranking system that we all have in our hearts and minds. You know what it's like. You look at someone else and say, well, he's more successful than I am. Doggone it, but at least my kids are turning out better than his. Or you're a lady and you see on one of those billboards, especially one of those digital billboards like they have right up the road, you see this beautiful model there and you're thinking, man, I'll never look like that. But I'm probably a better mom than she is. Right? There's this comparison It's deep, deep within us that says, i got to feel better about myself somehow and in some way compare myself with others and find a way where I'm better than them so that I feel important, I feel like I matter. And this is the beauty of the gospel of grace, that it tells us that Jesus was important for us so we don't have to be super important. That Jesus was somebody for us so if it's his plan for us to be a nobody, then that's okay. We don't have to prove that we're better than this person or that person. You see, the gospel is really good news, probably better news than we realize. Not only does it rescue us from eternal damnation and hell and judgment, but it transforms our heart. And what it does, listen, it, it, it dissolves the need, the reason that we have to try to feel that we're better than other people. It just takes it away. So that you can walk into a room and not think, where, do, where am I in the pecking order of the people in this room? You can think, where are the needs here? How can I serve this person? How can I meet that need? Totally different mindset. Comparison versus compassion. You understand what I'm saying? And the gospel is beautiful in that it takes away the need to prove that we're better. Because Jesus was better for us. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. You're free through the gospel, and now you can love people. Your heart can reach out to them in compassion because your heart's no longer preoccupied with having to beat them and win and prove that you're better than they are. You see, judgmentalism is the fruit of chronic comparison with others, and that's the fruit of being on the performance plan. And so I believe that Jesus is even here 
when he said, judge not. Even here, he's hinting at another plan. One that will free our hearts from the bondage of comparison with other people so that we're enabled to actually love people like he did. So let's get on the grace plan, amen? It's a better plan for a thousand reasons. Now, I'm on a roll, but we do have one last verse to tackle, and it's a doozy. Verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. What the heck? What are you talking about, Jesus? We were talking about judging, now we're talking about animals. Well, stay with me, there is a connection here. First, just know that in that culture, in that day, dogs and pigs were both considered to be unclean animals, right? Back then, dogs were not the nice, sweet, domesticated puppies that you have in your home today. Jesus is not here demanding that you stop feeding your little chihuahua the best dog food you can find. No, in those days, dogs were wild, mangy, disease-infested mongrels that roamed the streets and scavenged through the trash heaps for food. And pigs were pigs. (laughs) They were nasty, smelly, dirty, mud-caked, snorting swine. Neither of them were regarded highly in that culture. And so knowing that, you can probably see that Jesus is giving a principle here, an an axiom for life, and it's full of wisdom, so we need to take it to heart. Let me see if I can paraphrase it for you. I think it's in the box on your outline. What he was saying, as I understand it, is this. It's unwise and even harmful to offer something of immense value to someone who won't treasure it. That's what he was saying, right? Don't cast your pearls before pigs. Don't give something precious to another person who won't appreciate it. If you do, you could get hurt. That's just wisdom, right? Just wisdom. You see, some people who just heard what Jesus had said might be inclined to think that Jesus was telling people people, to never evaluate anything, to never assess anything, to never make any judgments. Do not judge. So here, Jesus is clarifying in this verse that he does, in fact, call his people to make certain kinds of judgments, especially to make distinctions between good and evil and wise and unwise, and yes, even to carefully evaluate people before offering ourselves or our precious message to them. A few verses later, he's going to reinforce this even more. Now, I believe this is a general principle. Don't throw your pearls before pigs. It has a specific application, but I think it also has a wider application to many situations in life. Don't cast your pearls before pigs could apply to situations like, you know where I'm going with this, right? The young lady who's contemplating giving herself, giving her body, giving her sexuality to a guy who's not prepared to treasure and value her for the rest of his life, but really is only looking for a a cheap thrill, or another conquest story to share with his buddies the next day. He's a self-centered swine. And Jesus would say, save yourself from that. Save yourself from heartache. Save yourself from being trampled and torn to pieces 
Wisdom would dictate that. Don't cast your pearls before swine. But think about the, the man, the middle-aged man at work whose boss is making him feel that if he doesn't sell his soul to the company and sacrifice other important things in his life on the altar of corporate profits, that his future with the company is going to be jeopardized. And his boss is saying, we want all of you. <laughs> we want all of your time. We want all of your effort. We want all of your energies focused here at the office, at the company, on our bottom line. And that man's thinking, but, but my life is more than that. My life is precious. If I give everything to you, Mr. Corporate Boss, what's it going to cost me? Maybe you can vision other life situations where this principle should be applied. Don't cast your pearls before pigs. But what does Jesus, do you think, specifically have in view here in this context? Who, who are the dogs and pigs he's referring to? Best I understand, judging from the context, he apparently used those terms to refer to people who won't receive precious truth as holy, as valuable, who won't treasure it, but who will reject it as something less than that. Personally, I think it's a slap at the Pharisees. That's who he's been talking about, right? Time and again, Jesus would say that he didn't come and he wasn't sharing all of his precious truth with everyone, especially with them. I think it's why the gospel is only hinted at in the Sermon on the Mount. But he only shared his precious pearls with those whose hearts were soft and prepared to receive the truth. You've heard us talk about that, right? Soft-hearted, soft soil, ready to receive the seed of the word. But self-righteous, judgmental Pharisees were at the other end of the spectrum. They were older brother types who felt like, we've already got the truth. We already have all the answers. We don't need this young 33-year-old upstart telling us how to live our lives. Ultimately, they would kill Jesus for pointing out the condition of their hearts. So to sum it all up, I believe Jesus was here saying to his disciples and to the crowd and the Pharisees who were sprinkled in among them, two things. Don't be judgmental, but do be discerning. Can you say that with me? Don't be judgmental, but do be discerning. Especially be discerning in who you share the truth with the precious pearls of the gospel. Some people are ready to receive it and some people are not ready to receive it. Their hearts are hard. They won't appreciate it for the good news that it is. They'll just get mad at you for sharing it with them. And they might turn and tear you to pieces, as it says in NIV. So don't be judgmental, but do be discerning. You know, I try to let sermons speak to me first before I ever get up here and... and speak them to you, and I thought about these two things, and both of these intersect my life every day. As far as being discerning, I have to think every day, what am I going to share with who? What am I going to say with what group or what person? I mean, every day I, in my life, face that, and I find myself increasingly dependent upon the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, help me to know what to share with who. As far as being judgmental, I mean, that's, that's part of the the old Steve. I mean, that's a streak in me that, that runs really deep, and every once in a while it kind of rears its ugly head again. Even this week, I was talking with a particular family who uh, has started coming here to New Life, and uh, I was talking with them, and they said, you know, we, we've been at this other church for many years, but we left that church 
and were coming here because in that church, the pastor was just getting off. I mean, he was he kind of took a left turn somewhere along the ways, and we, uh, we just feel like he's off, and, but we really like it here. You know, and you guys seem like you understand it. And there was that thought that crept up in my heart that said, you know, thank you, God, that I'm not like that guy. I got my theology all bolted down, you know, and the gospel is at the center, and we're doing it right. And I thought, you know, <laughs> that is so old, Steve. That is so pre-gospel thinking. We're all in the same boat. We all need Jesus to save us every day. And maybe you hear that and you think, well, I'm already saved. Well, I know, I know. But see, the gospel is the power of salvation to all who believe it, and it's the whole deal. Like, I was saved, I got saved, and now I am being saved, and I will be saved. The gospel does the whole thing. It saves me from judgment and the wrath of God, yes, and it saves me from myself, from my pride, from my arrogance, from my older brother tendencies to sit back and look down on other people and say, you know, I'm better. I think I'm better. Yeah, I'm better than them. And then I remind myself that that faulty foundation has been dissolved through the gospel, and I don't have to prove that I'm better than anybody or worse than anybody. I am who I am by the grace of Christ, and he tells me who I am, and I'm choosing to believe that, not what my flesh tells me. Does that make sense? So I hope this has been helpful to you. I wanna, while your eyes are wide open, I want to ask you a couple of questions and ask you to respond what you've heard today how many of you would lift a hand and say god is speaking to me about being less judgmental that's where i'm at being less judgmental okay so a few hundred of us right <laughs> how about this god is speaking to me about being more discerning more discerning in my choices and my decisions all right how about are there those of you who would say god's speaking to me what he's talking to me about is getting off the performance plan and getting on to the grace plan that Jesus offered by faith. Anybody like that? Getting off that? Yeah. Will you, will you bow your heads with me? And Lord, my prayer for all of us, anew and afresh this morning, in, in my own heart and life as well, is that you would give me the grace to repent and believe the gospel anew and afresh today. Because I need to repent of being undiscerning, of relying on my own wisdom. I need to repent of being judgmental and critical and harsh and pointing out how I'm better than others. And Lord, today I want to believe the gospel once again. That I was lost and dead in sin, but because of Jesus and only because of him and his death and his resurrection, I have been saved. And I no longer have to prove that I'm somebody because Jesus was somebody for me. So I'm free to be a nobody. Thank you for that freedom, Lord. And I pray that you would liberate us today anew and afresh from sin and self through the precious blood of Jesus.